Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. What does it mean to visualize yourself younger, more successful, or happier? Can we really convince our brain that we possess the qualities necessary to become those things? The answer is yes. According to Dr. Tara Swart, visualization is just one aspect of neuroplasticity. Combined with other techniques as described in her book, The Source, one can begin to create the world around them rather than merely respond to it. This is the magic and the science of the brain our most adaptable resource. Here it is, episode 337. Power Athlete Nation, it's that time again. Throw on your pinky toe rings, put on your high heels, because it's podcast time. Time, time, time. You're listening to the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding, ding, and I neuroplasticity. I didn't mention ding, it was Power Athlete ding. Radio. The premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Oh, now it's just implied. John, you know what I love? What do you love, Luke? Everything. (laughs) So that means I really love nothing. I hate everything as much as I love everything. I'm just curious. What's on your vision board? My vision board? board? Action board. Uh, Dude, this is a a great topic. Um, Mm -hmm. I am excited to go up and work on my vision board, and I have an idea of helping the kids with theirs. Action board. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. sorry. Action board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have no fucking clue what we're talking about. So you're going to have to stay tuned. And honestly, you have to stay tuned through the whole episode because I think it's the last thing we talk about. Suckers. Uh, I, dude, this is, uh, this has been a really, not only a really enlightening podcast, but a uh, mm-hmm. very intelligent guest who I was amazed at her uh, flexibility to be this dynamic to move mm-hmm. around with our extremely smart person. Talking to morons. Well, moron. I'll hey, she that. took she took some jabs too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just burn ban was off. <laughs> burn ban was off. Yeah, Doctor Tara Swart, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, was. Awesome. Uh, I am going to troll her on Instagram. I love it. Oh, I'm dude. She's. I was like, what's her Instagram? I'm going to tag her and things constantly, mm-hmm. especially with people that are just your vegan troll accounts. Uh, <laughs> the ones that you troll yourself. Uh, with? Dude, I got into it with a guy this uh, last night who was um, trying to basically blame the entire world's problems on meat production. And uh, then refused to believe that uh, 85% of the land that cattle are raised on is not fit for human or for crops. So Here's the low-down, dirty shame, John. You want to hear about this? Lay it on me. Life would be a lot fucking easier if we just weren't morons and killed off all the bison. Well, do you know why we killed off all the bison? Because we're selfish assholes trying to conquer the country. Yeah, we figured it was uh, if we got rid of the bison, then we would... Drive the red man. I mean, we mm-hmm. wanted their land, so we figured out we'd kill off their food source. And so the U.S. Army was put in place to kill off and, you know. So but here's the good news. They're, they're making Icing a comeback. is back, bitches. That's right. Our friends at Stay Classy. You see the shirt? We are righting the wrongs. We are righting the wrongs. Power Athlete Nation. John has managed to pair up with the dudes at Stay Classy to create a Power Athlete Bison Box. Oh, say it again. Say it again. I just Power wanna... Athlete Bison Box. <sighs> so good. It's so good. John has hand-selected the cuts that go into this thing. You're getting bison jerk. I'm going to pull it up. Hang on. Well, and the better part is I hand-selected the cuts to go with recipes. So mm-hmm. in the box, there's going to be recipe cards so that I went through all their box. They sent me uh, different pieces, and I've been testing different recipes so that every piece will come with a specific recipe card on how to cook it. That's right. They got bone-in ribeye. I can vouch. Tex and I have gone through John's trash. I've eaten the gristle off the bones. It's pretty fucking good. 
little more, a little well done for my taste. Uh, <laughs> how, how dare you? How dare you? You know, actually, that's my response to everything now. How dare you? How dare you? Well, Where you, you learn stolen that? my dreams, my youth. How dare you? Uh, we've got the Kobe, the cowboy ribeye, which we've uh, had. Remember, that was at the Johnny Wan training camp, wasn't it? Uh, but we had, fuck, those were so oh, good. Oh, they were so good. Uh, we got some a strip. We got a sirloin. Um, we got some ground bisons. So the ground bison are going to make marrow. my uh, signature bison meatballs that have oh. this killer, like, uh, Greek uh, yogurt sauce that I make out of, uh, obviously, with Greek yogurt and a few different Dude, things. I'm fucking they're starving. fucking awesome. I've got turkey. I've got fucking turkey for lunch. This is a nightmare. Anyways, there's a. This, I'm looking at this box right here. It's fucking epic. And then yeah, the uh, the shin bones. What we do is we cut them in half, and there's a little recipe on how to use a little bit of butter and a little bit of salt just to like cook them on in the oven. God, so awesome. I, I always think whenever uh, I've ever got like a meat box or any of these kind of uh, like different like food boxes they send you, uh, it would always really be nice to just have some recommendations and be like, hey man, like this how is how I cook this, this cook yeah. like this, and uh, and uh, and you know everybody knows ah just throw it on the barbecue and you can still do that but it's always nice to like have the the prep and to say hey this is how we cooked mm-hmm. it it was really delicious and here's some pictures to go with it how to stay classy with your meal hey oh look at that look at that Da-da-da. so ladies and gentlemen get on it uh oh you know who else is uh tact calories yeah. our boy tact oh, calories yeah. what's his uh man why am i drawing a blank on his case Casey. Casey. Um, dude, I bought their fire salt at Summerstrong. Yeah. That is, I, I can put that shit on any. I fucking uh, love that stuff. I use, I use tactic calories almost every single day. Yeah. And this if is not the, every day, two to three times a day. And the hilarious part is I'll burn through it and I like hit up Casey. I'm like, Casey. And he'll be like, I got you. And then yeah. I'll, then, then he'll just airdrop Fuck. in more. So and uh, um, I, I got the Bosco blend. You yeah. know, you know, he's like an OG CrossFit footballer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. from like, Early, early. I'm trying to get him out symposium, but he's got like a family vacation planned and shit. So yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, it's anyways, people, if you are interested in this bison box, it's a limited run. There are limited boxes, right? And these are fucking premium cuts. This is fancy shit. So you're not gonna. This isn't no budget box, people. This is an investment in absolute succulent bison flavor. It's great. I can't wait. So it's for available for the holidays only. Head to stayclassymeats.com and you should see a big call to action there. Uh, a longer link they gave me. Listen, people, if you know how to read and spell, here we go. It is stayclassymeats.com slash pages slash power athlete bison box. Maybe I'll talk them into just doing P-A-B-B. Pages slash P-A-B-B. Or both. Yeah. Listen, if one doesn't load, do the other one. Because, spoiler alert, the page isn't built yet. But I'm pretty excited for this bison box. It's going to be epic. Speaking of epic, unbelievable experiences, that is also what we had on today's episode of Power Athlete Radio. Right. No, I um, anytime we can engage a, you know, a podcast guest in not only neuroplasticity, uh, clan of the cave bear, and we can talk some evolution because I have all these really funny preconceived like creation, you know, like man's first experience with fire that I've somehow formulated in my mind. And uh, I was as soon as she got into that, I was like, 
And then when uh, she wanted to talk about dinosaurs, I'm like, when exactly are we talking about? Because mm-hmm. I just researched all this. So mm-hmm. it's always really nice. Uh, but not only a extremely dynamic, intelligent uh, guest, but actually somebody who's pretty PhD cool. PhD neuroscientist? And, and somebody we'd probably like to hang out and have a beer with because she'd probably laugh at us mm-hmm. and use us in her in, in experiments. Went to the <laughs> Oxford University? Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty, I mean, storied, oh, storied she's, educational uh, track her, and her, currently lecturing at MIT. Yeah, like, her pedigree is uh, pretty high. Yeah, and it's like, hey, well, we were at some CrossFit gyms teaching the back squat. That's, that's what we got. Well, and then she's, you got tenure NFL, PhD. Mean, technically, she's a D3 all-star because MIT there we is go. D3. That's right. We have so much in common. You over there yeah, Berkeley. under Ivory Tower. Thank <laughs> uh, that's, she, that's she, the whole reason I went to Berkeley. She, just did, like, she did laugh at your one joke. Which one? The one about uh, being a teacher, being uh, no, the easy road? conservative public yeah, institution, institution in Northern California. Yeah, small conservative public institution in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which has always been... <laughs> so funny. Well, it's because you guys have heard the joke too well, many what episode times. Are we on? It's called The Repeater. <laughs> no, it was actually at the seminars where I would drop that mm-hmm. one. And then you guys, I could see you guys like rolling your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I always got the same laugh, much like ping pong. If I'm going to score points, I'm going to keep going back. It to is. It. The, it's been dropped. I can't do this anymore. You're tuning in to the next episode of Power Athlete Radio with Dr. Tara Swart talking about unlocking your cognitive potential, your mental agility. Let's do it. Ping pong is fucking going down. <laughs> I don't know. Bring it, bitches. Wow, you all look really muscular. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Best podcast ever. Are we recording? (laughs) It's just a filter. Yeah, we have the uh, buff filter on. Yeah. uh, I would call it hunky. Oh. (laughs) Well, our our gentleman over here has the hairy filter on, if you can see that (laughs) arm hair. His natural sunscreen. Yeah, that's right. 100%. (laughs) Epigenetics. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is Power Athlete Radio. It's the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. That's right. And um, we are not expecting to talk any strength and conditioning, Tara. So don't like if you're not like, well, I don't know what sets and reps to really Uh, beef up my traps. I Um, know what that is. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, those traps are screaming. (laughs) Well, when we originally started this podcast, it was, um, you know, strength and performance podcast. And then Mm -hmm. we realized after we had gotten through like two or three episodes that really those people weren't that exciting to talk to. <laughs> so we had to find a uh, much more intelligent, heady conversation. And I think we have like the distinction of having like every kind of high level PhD doctor on <laughs> to the point where I'm like, I look at these CVs and I'm like, Oh my, I don't even know we should be talking to these people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we had uh like r- when I was reading Karen Kelly's CV, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Lori Santos, yeah. the <laughs> animal psychologist. She's out of Yale. That was a real fun one. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think she was going to come and study us. She's like, you guys are animals. <laughs> so, well, uh, before we start, I need to ask a question because I can only do a podcast with people that have a brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is so this I think going to be a problem. Two out of three. I'm not sure which one of us doesn't have a brain. Well, I know I have a brain. I went to Berkeley. They certified okay. it. Yeah. So <laughs> I have degrees from UC Berkeley. It's a small very conservative public institution in Northern California. Mm. You've never heard mm. of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, never. Are you a lecturer? 
Am I? Um, no. Well, I guess you're lecturing well, us every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Define lecture. I, as I was getting my master's in education, I had dreams of being a, um, a college professor, and then I got drafted to go play in the NFL, and I did that for 10 years, and that was dramatically easier than being a college professor. <laughs> Fair enough. You or know? like a, a <laughs> elementary school PE teacher. Oh, uh, no. But, I, I, I wanted to be a college professor. I thought it would have been by far, uh, you know, the ability to influence young kids that were, you know, at such a susceptible, like such a critical age and now I realize, no. Be a nightmare. Yeah. So, Terry, I guess, in theory, we all have brains. I've never seen mine, but I assume it's there. So that gets us through the gateway? Like, are we are we worthy of a conversation? <laughs> yeah. no, she's about to I, hang up. I'm, I'm picking up on that we can talk about brain strength and performance. 100%. Brain conditioning. Uh, and um, it's interesting really just- that we're really just ramped into performance. Like the idea of like, how do we increase, um, you know, I mean, everything from like myelination, you know, uh, neurosynapsis, like how do we make people more efficient and Mm -hmm. just better human beings from all kind of perspectives? Well, you've mentioned one of the ways of doing this already, which is that if you have a choice in life about, do I become a college professor or do I, you know, go and um, work in the NFL, then you said, it was way easier than being a college professor. And actually that is how the brain works. It likes the pathway that's the easiest one, which is usually the one that we've been using for the longest time or we have a natural preference for because there's some kind of genetic element or we've just practiced more in that area. So I actually think there are lots of parallels between sport and brain performance in the way that we're probably going to talk about it today. And I just love hearing little snippets like that. Everything like that. Well, that I was I hear, being facetious. I, I was being facetious because <laughs> playing in the how, NFL was, was, yeah, playing in the NFL wasn't easy. I just got drafted and it was a job that I did, but I always joke like, uh, um, you know, I chose the harder, like I, you know, we go and we have a, a group called fuse move where we go out and we work with, um, you know, PE for high schools and different middle schools. And I always make the joke that I had to go in and student teach in the Oakland public school district. And thank God I got drafted to the NFL cause it was way easier to go do that than it is to be a teacher. So it's just kind of a, a offhand joke I make. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I get it. And I think it in the brain, actually, in terms of performance, there's two things There's one is. When you don't have bandwidth, let's say if you're under stress or you've just got a lot going on, then it's a really good idea to default to your natural strengths. On the other hand, if you actually want to grow your brain in the way that you've just mentioned with myelination and neurogenesis, then you have to do something that's difficult because it's the intensity of the attention and the effort that actually grows your brain. Before we start getting into the nuts and bolts... Uh, Tara, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on you? How did you get into this field and, and talk a little bit about the book and then we're really going to dive into that as well. Okay. Um, so I went to medical school after school and in the third year we were allowed to specialize in certain topics and I just found the neuro topics to be the most interesting ones. Now, just to put it into context, this was over 25 years ago. So it was not when neuroscience was a sexy topic like it is now. Um, I just genuinely found it interesting. It seemed to be like the control center for the rest of the body. Um, So I I sort of felt like if we start there, then lots of other things like your physical health, your mental performance, your relationships, you know, your choices that you make in life all would cascade out of that. So I kind of thought at the time that I wanted to become a neurologist, but when I came back to medical school and did the practical part, psychiatry just seemed 
totally fascinating in terms of how people think, how you can hear voices that aren't really there, how, you know, your mood changes, and then just, you know, all the sort of effects of that in people's lives and in the lives of the people around them. So I became very fascinated by people and interactions and relationships of all sorts. Um, then I was a psychiatrist for seven years, which was very interesting, very painful at times, um, just a you know, really varied experience. Um, and then I started, I guess I had a bit of a midlife crisis. I started thinking, you know, if I was choosing all over again, if I was 18 and I knew the things that I know now, what, what would I do? And around that time, neuroscience in business and leadership was starting to become more of a buzz topic. I think it's now got huge implications for parenting, for, you know, it's affected, I mean, sports psychology has been around. To me, that is actually the start of all of this. But now neuroscience is adding in the physiology that makes that even more interesting than it was in the first place. And I personally think neuroscience has implications for everything. So we'll see where we go with this conversation. I'm, I'm happy to to play and go wherever you want to. No, that's great. In where do I want to? Where should we start with this, McQuilkin? Well, the title of the book is the source, mm-hmm. and simply put, you describe the source as where the cortex and the limbic system come together. So what has been the evolution of the the past 20 years of neuroscience where they used to see these as two separate things and now they're coming together? Or is it your experience that you viewed this is the power that is the source? I love the way that you've put that. I think there is an element of if your brain is firing on all cylinders, then that's the source. The source is using all of the brain power that you have available to you. So it's you at your best. Um, However, as you quite rightly mentioned, in the last 20 years or more, um, we have understood some very different things about the brain. So I feel as a neuroscientist, I I feel like the kind of person that's the most times had to say, hey, you know what we told you five years ago? You know what we told you 10 years ago? You know what we told you 20 years ago? Actually, that's not, it's not what we thought and it's something different. So, you know, having to sort of say that you were wrong and give the new story has been quite an interesting there's been interesting parallels for my personal life. Um, so for example, you would have heard of the right brain and left brain lateralization, which even when I was writing the book, my editors were saying, why are you saying that's not a thing? Cause it's a thing. And so I had to say, well, since we've been able to scan brains, we can see that, that that's not how it works. And in the 1950s, when we were still doing frontal lobotomies and cutting the corpus callosum that connects, that it's the bridge that connects the left and the right halves of the brain. We made certain assumptions from what occurred as a result of that about how the brain works. And so we've believed that for, you know, a very long time. But when you look at the way the information flows around the brain, now that we can see it with functional MRI and diffusion tensor imaging, you see that it's, it's not the way that we thought. So There is some lateralization of the brain, but it is absolutely not a fact that some capabilities are in the left and some are in the right. And traditionally, we used to say that um, logic was on one side and emotional creativity was on the other. So although that's not the case, we still do have to simplify the way that the brain works. One of my favorite phrases is, if the brain was so simple that we could understand it, we would be so simple that we couldn't. So 
if we start from the premise that the brain is massively complex and you have to bring it, distill it down to, to simplified models to make sense of it and then be able to grow from that, we do say things like the outer cortex is mostly where the logical pathways run. The limbic system is the system that all the pathways to do with intuition and empathy are more related to, but it, it's, it's not even that simple. Um, and I'd love to take a little back, bit back to um, evolution as well, so not just the last 20 years, because um, I, I love telling all the stories about cavemen to explain why we are the way that we are now. So not 6,000 years ago, <laughs> like the Bible, right? Chris? He's a flat earther. Flat earth Christian. <laughs> right, who, who believes... Flat earth Christian. Who believes the earth's only 6,000 years old, so hey, you I... you do you, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's okay sure that you, you think we're on a, on a spinning penny 6,000 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going fast. You just can't keep up. <laughs> okay, Tara, so let's start <laughs> yeah. with the... Whatever, evolution. Mr. Fake Dinosaur Bones. <laughs> so 6,000 plus years ago... Um, we existed on the savannah with dinosaurs and other animals, and we were actually no more special or unique or you know, superior in any way, physically or mentally, to most other animals. Um, and what I'm going to talk about is the time around when we discovered how to make fire. What, uh, what time frame are we looking at here? Uh, like, like millennia, millennia, like, like, like 65 million years ago, like crustacean, I mean, like paleolithic dinosaur, like, dinosaur, dinosaur time. Yeah. But dinosaurs, like, I mean, we're uh, like, I, why do you need such an accurate time? Well, frame I'm just wondering are about you, like, like, are you referencing your own little calendar you got back there? Well, no, but I'm always curious because, uh, um, like if you look at like the evolution of dinosaurs, there were periods where like, you know, dinosaurs were, you know, tens and 20 million years. I think people think that dinosaurs all live together. And like mm -hmm. when you look at it, like I think we're closer to the T-Rex within time than some of the earlier bigger dinosaurs, mm -hmm. like the big, uh, oh, yeah, super you know, so I'm just curious, like when, when you like, and there's no way for us to accurately assess like when man first sparked fire. I just kind of think in your mind, like when about would you think that that would have I want to say, can we call Yuval Noah Harari? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say it was towards the end because actually us sparking fire led to the end of some species. So if we say that it was right at the end of when dinosaurs existed because of the knock-on effects of what we did by creating fire, which basically are going from being n nothing special to becoming the most special animal on the planet and leading to the extinction of dinosaurs and other species. Do, so we're talking uh, does that coincide with the big rock that hit us about 65 million years ago? <laughs> I think it actually does, doesn't yeah, it? Because that was, was also just before yeah, dinosaurs. I yeah, was going to exactly. say, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I think it was like 99% of the species after that uh, was a seven mile rock going 40,000 miles a year or 40,000 miles an hour hit us. So you're actually making me draw on knowledge that I think I had from like primary school, which I've forgotten until I read. Well, I have, uh, I have twin girls that are seven and they're uh, studying about the dinosaurs and this evolution. So I've had to go back and like watch and relearn all this stuff so yeah. that I can teach it. Cause they keep asking me these questions and I'm like, hold on. And then I'm like, <laughs> so I'm staying up. Like I was watching, I just watched a documentary on Netflix about dinosaurs and this whole thing. So I can drop knowledge on them and, 
have them assume. Maintain your position as smartest person. They know. <laughs> yeah. No one's smarter than your father. They're, you're, they're like, how does dad know so much about dinosaurs? Oh, he's staying up late watching documentaries about dinosaurs. <laughs> I got your secrets well born. Oh, I, 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 I have buffed up on no problem uh, convincing the kids that I know everything and I will stay up after they go to bed to prove it to them. So, <laughs> sorry, Doc. Okay. But children are, they're a reason to do that, aren't they? And like many people, if you don't have young children and you don't have the impetus to go and learn something, to stay ahead, to be able to teach your children, that's when your brain can just start to not necessarily atrophy or get worse, but just stay the same. And to me, that would be the worst thing, just to stay the same. Yeah, my favorite is my daughters will ask me like, hey, dad, what does this word spell? And they'll spell out these, uh, you know, they'll give me these like, you know, crazy amount of different letters. And I'm like, like saying in your head, you're like, that's not a word. And they're like, oh, it's not. And then they say it to you again. And you're like, no, that's not a word. But you have to check yourself. And then you're trying to like spell these things. And I'm like, man, like they should take seven year olds and put them into like people in their in their 60s, 70s and 80s and have them do this as like a mental task because. Quiz them. Oh, my God. Like they asked me like and the, the questions they asked me, I'm like, hold on. Mm-hmm. And then I think like, like our parents didn't have Google. So like, how did my dad answer these questions? Make it up. I mean, no, I, have an, I have a system. We have uh, um, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia, I, Encyclopedia yeah. Britannicus. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad being like, we got all these Encyclopedia Britannicus. And I was like, what are all those? He's like, well, you had your own. Yeah. My dad bought the we, whole thing. Yeah, we had. So uh, well, I was, we were library people. Well, we were we, library. We went, mm-hmm. we went to the library too. We had to do that every week. Yeah. My fucking dad would never have like the... In, in collection of encyclopedias. Uh, There's no way. Somebody His was like hunting books. Somebody knocked on our door and sold us that probably along with a fucking Bowflex. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And some Cutco knives. Speaking of Bowflex, really going off the rails. I <laughs> talked my... Remember the Abflex? No. Do you remember this? So it was like a big gray triangle thing with like a spring-loaded pad mm. that you would pull into your stomach <laughs> for like isometric holds. <laughs> and you do it for like... I talked my fucking parents into buying that for me in high school. I don't know why. I just remember Did that. Did you ever use it? You still got it? How do you think I got these hats? It's clearly worked, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gleaning out information that I'll be able to use later, so this is good. Okay, so uh, 60, 60, roughly 65, 64 million years or 66 million years ago. Yeah, roughly, roughly 64 to 66 million years ago. Um, we don't know whether... We accidentally sparked fire, and then that led to the ability to cook the meat that we hunted and digest the protein more efficiently, which led to our guts then being able to shrink because they didn't need to process raw meat and allowing the cortex of the brain to grow. So basically, at that time, our limbic system is about the size of our clenched fist. So you know the size of your limbic system proportion yeah exactly <laughs> uh doc do you think that um because uh like you know in africa in the serengeti during the summer they have fires and kind of mm-hmm. what i was wondering is if like uh let's say just you know lightning or you know hot temperatures or something sparked big fire i imagine that fire probably burned some animals and i imagine early you know whatever you want to call it paleolithic early man kind of like scavenged, yeah, like, yeah, scavenged mm-hmm. and realized Ooh, this probably tastes a lot better cooked. What is this, ribeye? Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it just is kind of like a natural instinction. I wonder if they just accidentally almost stumbled upon it and then had the mental ability to realize that, like, the yeah. fire did this, and now this is probably a preferred method. Because the perception of taste is a cognitive skill, isn't it? Like, Yeah, I mean... Uh, like, yeah, but I, I don't think it was about taste, though, because 
I agree with you that that could have happened, but that was fire that they couldn't control. So fire that you could control was the was the factor that changed everything. Sure. And um, taste obviously is like an incentive or a motivation, but actually the ability to digest the protein efficiently was the thing that that changed it. So we re- we don't think that we had the sense. Um, that we, that we just came upon that sense accidentally. We think that either we evolved, then we made tools and we made fire, or that we fire happened like you've said, and we managed to eat enough protein that was cooked for then the brain to evolve. So it's a very, you know, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, but around that time that happened for whichever reason, quite possibly because of what you just said by accident. Um, and then that limbic system that had a very thin layer of cortex over it, the more rational, predicting for the future, able to articulate speech part of the brain. Because at that time we couldn't speak, so we grunted and gestured. We did make cave paintings. Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. So same to you, John. I was going to say, uh, I, I, and I firmly have always got uh, gotten behind this, that I don't think men have really evolved that far from that group of individuals. <laughs> Women are highly evolved, very like the fact that like, the women, like a, a, a woman can grow another human being inside them, like the, the complexity of the woman. I think if you dropped us back there, it would only, we'd be, this pretty, is great. Yeah, it would be like, this is awesome. We just get to <laughs> hang out and kill things all day. So I just don't think we've evolved that far. So well, when I started the cave person story, I was kind of thinking that a little bit. So <laughs> Inspired by us. Of course, you know, women, women, uh, four children and gave birth in the cave. There is an argument that women have uh, benefited from neuroplasticity more over time than men have. Um, you know, I, that's for, as a scientist, that's, that's not like an argument that I feel is backed up by evidence, but you could, you could say that for given, just given what you've just said, <laughs> I think the, the question would be, if you were just, thrown back in time into the cave, would you think it was awesome or not? I have to say I would not. So I think yeah. I'd like that. <laughs> yeah. We'd be like, this is great. We get to hang yeah. out all day and just go out. I mean, it's like, we don't have to wear shoes and a laundry. Um, so where were we? <laughs> okay. So our cortex grew and that was when we first went from grunting and gesturing to actually speaking. And being able to exist in tribes of 150 or more because we had more sophisticated ways of of understanding whether somebody was in our tribe or not. So it wasn't just skin color, hair color and texture, eye shape and eye colors, that kind of thing. So it evolved from that to being a bit more nuanced. Oh, is there a way to measure cognitive capacity uh, for language? Like, I wonder, like, um, I've always thought, like, especially in that one piece where you're saying, you know, we evolved in a certain point, we started developing some form of complex communication. Uh, is there a way to measure, I mean, even like primates or other animals or other things to say, hey, like, at this amount of cognitive capacity, if they could increase this much more, they could actually start developing more complex kind of languages and that kind of piece. I wonder, like, what was the... What was the, um, I guess you could say, like the cognitive increase that allowed us to go from grunts to, like, let me, you know, whether it was hand gestures or what, like, I just kind of imagine there was like this kind of cascading effect of like, you know, uh, intelligence and, you know, and uh, I mean, uh, over the course of generations, I just wonder if there's ever been a way to measure that. 
Well, it, the primate studies show just the um, the greatness of the vocabulary, whether, even if you know it's from sign language. But um, and I think what you're really talking about is a level of complexity and interconnectedness, which really brings us back to the source. Um, that is the difference between us and our closest relative, which is the bonobo or chimpanzee. And just by me giving you that example, you can see that the level of complexity is massive. Um, so although there are some animals that have language, for example, dolphins also have a form of language, the difference between the next animal and us is, is just, it's so big. I don't have a number for it, but it's, it's a massive increase in level of complexity and capacity. Well, what, and this is, I mean, this is probably the age old question since the beginning of time. Um, and I remember when I was at Berkeley, they had uh, just found, um, this is 20 years ago, they, they came out with the Andy and Artie deal where they found uh, what they thought were, you know, the, the link between it with Andy and Artie. And I always remember as I was reading about it in the Daily Cal and then 10 years, 15 years later, when they finally were able to kind of put together all the information, like, you know, if we had a common relative and there was obviously a diversion this way, and now we've done this kind of hyper jump where we've exponentially grown this way and these, and this other mm -hmm. group, let's say the chimpanzee bonobo stayed here. Mm -hmm. What was, was it like all of a sudden uh, one group went to the, went to the ocean and it was the, you know, the consuming of, I don't know, salt and seafood versus staying mm -hmm. in the trees. Like, what do you think was the factor that allowed us to stand upright, opposable thumbs and like all of a sudden go off in this completely different, uh, you know, tree of evolution? Mm -hmm. There is one very interesting argument about um, us having been more aquatic and eating more fish than we thought we did in the past. But I, I think it is this ability to control fire and therefore cook meat and have protein that's easy to digest. That's the only thing that... So, you know, the bonobo still can't do that. And mm. I think that is the single difference. Wow. Dude, that's... We're lucky. No, I, it uh, I, I mean, like, you know, we, we always think like, you know, the, uh, like, you know, the kiss principle, keep it simple, stupid. Like I always think with like a lot of these really complex things, could it really be as simple as just like one group had fire and they almost kept that fire to themselves. And that group allowed them over the course of like, I mean, thousands of years, generation, all of a generation. sudden, you know, now all of a sudden, like they were exponential. And I always loved the interaction with, uh, you know, when the homeo sapiens were interacting with like the Neanderthals and the Neanderthals mm -hmm. just seemed to mm -hmm. disappear. Mm. Um, I just think that they absorbed them. You know, they probably yeah. met like lesser intelligent people and were like, hey, come with us. Because all the Neanderthals that they've ever found, the skulls are always bashed with big uh, holes in them because their preferred method of uh, killing animals was they would charge them and try to pound them with their fists. So I imagine like those guys died out real quick and they were probably smarter kind of hunters, people that, you know, like, you know, I mean, if you think uh, Clan of the Cave Bear probably wasn't that far off. Oh, my God. I love that book. Me too. Unbelievable. Um, and, you know, the bit where the shaman sees into the future and sees the modern world. I, huh. I actually I really because I do flotation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I get that that feeling. Um, I love uh, the, the flotation tanks. One of my most favorite things to do me too how yeah. fascinating i oh, didn't yeah. think we were going to talk about this oh, I so, love it. At, but i also wanted to say you do know that if you send off some of those genetic tests that you can see what percentage neanderthal you are so we absorbed them in a in in many ways um which i think the um you know the idea that certain types of 
Homo sapiens bred with the Neanderthals has now been demonstrated by these genetic tests. And it's so funny how people, some people, um, feel slightly insulted if they have a higher percentage of Neanderthal than, I than other people. people. I've met people that I knew had a higher percentage of uh, Neanderthal. And I used to joke with people like that, because like, they'd obviously never read The Clan of the K-Bear, where they talked about the big forehead uh, having mm. the memories. Mm-mm. So that was the part that really blew me away. The Neanderthals somehow had the ability to pass memories on within their lineage. So they were born with the memories of like things, whereas the Homo sapiens could like learn. And I just remember seeing those guys and being like, oh, they got the memories. And it was kind of my inside <laughs> joke. And, yeah. uh, and, but, you know, uh, I know you find this hard to believe, but uh, Clan of the K-Bear is not required reading for NFL players. So I knew I was safe making those jokes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that sort of leads me on to another field that I'm really, really interested in that's related, which is epigenetics. Mm-hmm. So where you've talked about Neanderthals inheriting memories of the past generations, that's not as far from the truth as what we now understand can happen to us with our own genes and DNA and telomeres. And I, I like to talk about the telomeres, like the little plastic bits at the end of shoelaces. And that if you have a, a life or lifestyle factors that have caused you stress or, um, you know, if you smoke or you're sedentary, then it's like you're fraying the ends of your shoelaces. Whereas if you eat clean and you exercise and you meditate, then you're keeping the ends of those shoelaces really neat, neatly sort of um, tied up. And so it may not be direct memories, but we know, for example, that the third generation from Holocaust survivors and Dutch famine survivors have altered stress and resilience profiles because of what their grandparents went through. And you can understand that if a woman was pregnant, that the child might get affected by the stress that she goes through. We know, for example, in in experiments on rodents, that if you have a pregnant rat, and every time you give her an electric shock, you expose her to a certain smell, that the baby rats, when they're born, um, and they smell that smell, even though there's no electric shock, they, they show a stress response. That, I think, we can all get. But when you think about the fact that those baby rats, their children, who've never had an electric shock or smelt that smell, are either more anxious or more resilient because of the way that they're... they're um, they've inherited the DNA that their parents had at the time of conception, not what they were born with, shows that the life experiences that we expose ourselves to has an effect on our children, our grandchildren, and probably more generations than that. We just don't know that for sure yet. Uh, I mean, isn't there pretty uh, um, documented research where they talked about babies that were born during wartime? Uh, tend to be bigger than those that are born at peace. And then also during times of war, more male children are born. So, and that's been, I mean, that's been so many. Yeah. Like, I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, and I, I think it's due to like, you know, stress and all these other key Mm. factors that are probably inherent within us. I mean, it's just, uh, I remember reading that years ago and being like, wow, like the, uh, uh, you know, there has to be something within genetic signaling for us to evolve and to be able to get to this point. Like, I don't really believe in accidents, but it just feels like, you know, for us to get to be as prepared as we are, it had to be something within it, you know, within coming. And seeing as you've gone there with Clan of the Cave Bear, and we're obviously going to talk about things that are not normal things to talk about. Have you seen three identical strangers? Um, 
have I ever seen Three Identical Strangers? Have you heard of it? No. It's a movie. You've got to see it. Um, about a guy <laughs> who is he drops out of college, and then and he's upstate New York, I think it is. And then the, the following year, a new guy starts at college, and as he's walking on the campus, everyone's like, "Hey, Tex, Tex, how are you? Oh, I didn't realize you were coming back." And then they work out very quickly that he's not the same guy, and he's a twin that was separated at birth. So this becomes like a sensation. I mean, apparently this was huge in the press in the US. Um, And then the freakiest thing happens because somebody sees the paper with these twins and goes and shows the third guy. And I'm looking at you three now. It's really hilarious. And they're like, you're the triplet. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, I, I have heard of this, but I, I, I have got goosebumps. Heard, That's I, fucking. I wild. have heard of this. Uh, you will get goosebumps and cry when you watch this movie. I mean, the emotional roller coaster you'll go through. I don't want to spoil it, um, but you literally have to stay up late and watch Netflix tonight. I don't know if it's on Netflix actually, but it's on it's, iTunes. It's on Hulu, and okay. I guess the the year that they were in school here is 1980. Wow. wow. Yeah, but the doc came out just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And basically it shows that these three triplets who were separated at birth had different lives and that, wh- how that how that plays out by the time they reconnect, which was, you know, obviously never meant to happen. Um, so it's sort of like you look back and see the experiment as it, as it were. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, I did hear, listening to one of Jordan Peterson's lectures, how he expressed the importance of taking risks because within your DNA are essentially your ancestors' talents. And if you are looking to mm-hmm. find your, just not necessarily a passion, but something you have a knack for, you should take all these risks and you know try stand-up comedy and do all these things that you may not feel that so you're does this mean you're destined. Gonna, so, so, so let me get this straight. Power when, Athlete Nation, I'm going to be at the when you, Alamo Draft when House. You, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> when you talk about taking risks and going out there and doing dangerous stuff, you're talking about stand-up comedy. No, I'm talking no. about that time that I wrote the bowl. <laughs> I'm talking about drinking a pop without a straw, you know, like right out of the cup. No straw. Yeah. No, but while I'm driving. Essentially. Uh, I'm going to go two miles over the speed limit. I'm going to live dangerously and try no to. No blinker on this turn, try to like Harness the, uh, the talents of my ancestors. Yeah, I'm talking about driving above 65 miles an hour, guys. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> Tex, let me help you out here, okay? Let, let's just let's just have take a little break. Uh, I love uh, and... her English accent saying Tex. It's absolutely killing me. It's, it's like install. <laughs> yeah. How, um, how am I, how our, am I uh, meant to say it? Uh, no, no. It's just uh, where uh, where are you from in the UK? London. Where where in London? West London, Chelsea. Chelsea. Okay. Um, yeah. My parents had a place in Sloan Square. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so we, we used to go over there, uh, like, when we were kids. Like, every summer we would go over there, and, like, we stayed right on Sloan Square. And we'd go down, like, Knightsbridge and that whole area. So, like, I heard your accent, and I'm like, because uh, our, our branding guy's from Manchester, and it's a little bit different. It's different. So, yeah, no, that's one of my um, most favorite parts of London. I love that. Oh, area. amazing. Um, yes, and they would definitely would all say Tex. Um, so what I was going to say was this thing you said about um, – you know, discovering fire and then keeping that to yourself and not sharing it with the next sort of species. And what you were just saying about, you know, take risks, try different things. So all of this comes back to the source because what I'm basically saying is you have the ability to fire up your neurons. You have the ability to drive where you build your brain pathways 
unless you don't know about neuroplasticity and you just sit there and let life happen to you. And you let the stresses of your grandparents play out in your life and control you. But with you saying you may have these innate talents, go and try different things so that you can see, you know, if this really works, that applies to anything. Like I always use the analogy of learning a language. Let's say, if let, let me ask you, if you wanted to go and learn Spanish now in the next six months, do you think you could become quite good at Spanish in the next six months? Yes, without a doubt. If I asked you the same question about, do you think you could become quite emotionally intelligent in the next six months? Would you say without a doubt? No, it's taken me 43 years. And I'm still, <laughs> I'm still suffering. But you wouldn't we do all the same. Are suffering, John. Uh, no, I will. I will say probably the greatest uh, thing for emotional intelligence that's helped me is having kids. Yeah. So like that was a big growth. I got three kids. So like having emotional intelligence, um, especially having daughters, because I grew up yeah. with all brothers, mm-hmm. and uh, had like I'm like, why are they crying? And my wife's like, girls just cry sometimes. I'm like, okay, figure that one out. I mean, I feel yeah. like you can move the needle on anything that isn't totally reliant on like the structure, right? And for example, I'm thinking like if your hands are smashed up and plant like learning the guitar, like that's a, you're dependent on potentially a limited structural. Um, yeah, but I watched a guy play a guitar who was missing uh, two fingers. So I, yeah, I played, I played the guitar. Yeah. I, I played the guitar and then I dislocated two fingers playing football and I just like, it's harder for me now. Yeah, not restricted but, necessarily, but, but I limited. watched a dude who was missing That's a finger. Example. Yeah, but limited. So you, you know, you would, um, or let's say your boot height is five, seven, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you say? <laughs> Continue the joke. I love joke. you, Tex. But Continue the joke. And you've smashed up both ankles and your feet are Lego blocks. Like, <laughs> realistically, Tex isn't going to like learn how to dunk in the next six months, no matter how hard he tries. And myself okay, let included, me get, right? Like, let, me, let me tell you then that a baby born with half a brain can have a totally normal life. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm trying. I'm trying to continually reframe for people. Right. Well, uh, you can I'm, do. So, yeah. So I'm. But I'm pivoting <coughs> back over to like the possibilities. Then, if you're mm. not, I mean, Stephen Hawking, right? Like, mm. it's it, you're the the structural limitations may mm-hmm. restrict yeah, but your. Stephen Hawking's wasn't born like that. That was something that happened to him later. Fair enough. But, mm. um, but there there are tons of people that have had similar things that have gone on to genius level type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I I always thought the brain was extremely Which is what interesting I'm in that they did. Mm. Um, they used to do like lobotomies where they would take out chunks of brain and mm-hmm. like the brain is, has this incredible ability to um, extend itself to, to like cover and compensate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, we see this all, all the oh, time with like compensation patterns within the body. Uh, let's say you have an injury and now all of a mm-hmm. sudden like that muscle or that injury or joint or something happens. The body's so smart that it'll actually change positions of joints and angles and limbs and whatnot so that to avoid that, to mm-hmm. try to go to different compensation patterns. But even that still has what I would say, like, that's a limited pool. Whereas you talk about cognitive or emotional scaling, I think that you have a much wider bandwidth there for growth than necessarily something that's the manifestation of a structure. Oh, I, so- think I think we're kind of saying the same thing, but... Yeah. nobody said anything that's wrong, but it's just like versions of the truth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like when it, um, so what you're saying is that because of Texas, um, limited, limited, uh, you know, height, 
you know, and the and he's probably not going to be able to dunk. But when we talk about obtaining skills, uh, especially like kind of like cognitive mastery of different movements high, and hand-eye coordination, like mm-hmm. we know that opportunity is by far the biggest uh, determining factor for success. That like the more opportunity he has to speak Spanish, like if we dropped him in the middle of like South America. Mm-hmm. And you you were in and now all of a sudden like to communicate you start out like a can I come uh, <laughs> like yeah. uh, I, I like it, I, it was kind of like um, we went to Brazil and I spoke Spanish but not Portuguese which mm-hmm. was extremely difficult because you could kind of communicate mm-hmm. and then you end up using like hey but then after three four weeks all of a sudden like you start picking things up mm-hmm. and now because mm-hmm. you have a basis for it totally and let me give you a sporting example because i think you'll like it and it's but it's just such a good one that extends this whole argument which is before roger bannister ran a mile in less than four minutes no one thought that it was humanly possible to do so as soon as he did it seven people did it in the next two months so just knowing that someone else could do it actually got people to do something that physically we all didn't believe you could do so Although you're totally right, I think there is an, is an argument around if you don't think it's possible, then you're not going to do it. But if you believe that it is, then maybe you can. Mm-hmm. And that's with the physical structure stuff, but with the mental stuff, um, even more so. And I, I loved this experiment that was done on groups of people in their 80s who were split into three groups. One group lived like normal. For, this is just for a week. One group were asked to reminisce about being 20 years younger in their 60s for a week. And one group were asked, would they go and live in homes that were made to look like their home did 20 years ago? And that for the for that one week, they would have their eyeglasses and their walking stick or whatever walking aid they had taken away for the week if they didn't have it 20 years ago. So they agreed to that. But what they didn't agree to was that when they were dropped off at the location and they packed their suitcase for a week, that they were told okay, take your suitcase up to your bedroom. It's up one floor. And they were little, you know, little ladies in their 80s were saying, I, I can't carry a suitcase. And, and they, was, they said, well, you're on your own for a week. Goodbye. So everybody got their suitcase up to their bedroom in the end. And at the end of one week, they had increased visual acuity and musculoskeletal coordination. Even the reminiscing group showed some improvements, not as much as the group that lived as if, but they still showed some improvements, which comes back to the whole visualization stuff that you see a lot of in sport. Um, But knowing that can play out in your life in a small way. Like I went for my annual eye check um, when I turned 40 and the um, optician who is also of Asian origin and same age as me said, you look young, you know, we both look younger than we are, but you're going to, you're going to start needing reading glasses soon. And I was like, Reading glasses are for old people and I don't, don't want them. And he said, okay, you can get away with it for another year, but when you come back next year, you are going to need them. So I came back the following year. He was testing my eyes. He turned around halfway through the test and said, what have you done? And I said, why? Is it still the same? Exactly the same. And he went, no, it's better. And all I had done was firmly say no to him when he told me that I would need them. And then if I was reading my phone or a book and I felt like it would be a bit easier to move it away, I just didn't. And I just made myself read it like that. And it's now six years later and I still, I know I'm wearing glasses now, but they're not reading glasses. Um, So I believe that, you know, that it's obviously mind over matter, but I believe that because I set an intention around that and I've done small practical tweaks to avoid it, 
I've managed to control that. Whereas if at age 40, he said, you need reading glasses, and I took them, I'd have been wearing reading glasses for six years now, and there's no way I could go back to not using them. Doc, I'm going to assume that you're familiar with, uh, with Michael Rose's work. Uh, tell me about the work. Cause I might uh, be with my, that. Uh, Michael Rose is an evolutionary bi- a biologist out in California, UC Irvine. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, um, probably one of the smarter people I've ever heard speak. Um, and, uh, just, but he has a pretty interesting deal and he talks about like, um, he did like evolutionary models based on fruit flies and oh, kind of yeah. went through like ancestral diets and all that. But he has a pretty interesting thing on aging and, mm-hmm. um, one of his biggest thing is that the, the greatest determining factor for aging is your perception of yourself. So mm. his deal was like, if you, um, if you do something like that, you can visually adjust your age. When you look at yourself in the mirror where you don't mm-hmm. look old, you will mm-hmm. not feel old. Like for example, like if, uh, if your beard is gray, shave your beard because yeah. seeing that gray yeah. beard will make you feel old. Like if something is weird on your face or you have like a growth or something that like, you know, you would associate with somebody who wasn't young, go mm-hmm. cut it off. And he yeah. was like talking about like, you know, women that do some like, you know, not like orange County, like weird plastic surgery where they look like <laughs> some like alternate, you know, alien duck where you can't, uh, we used to live out in orange County. We're in Texas now. And I, we would like occasionally see people where you just like don't want to make eye contact. I had a client like that. She was she was uh, addicted, addicted to plastic yeah. surgery, and she would come mm-hmm. in with these procedures, and she'd be like, "What?" And I'm like, "Ah, I can't really look at you. It's uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. But um, he made a really interesting point that like uh, the the your perception of reality with aging is by far the biggest determining factor. Like, continue to dress young, do all the things, stay in shape. Yeah. Like you know, and he went through yeah. this whole list and. Uh, like it just, it, uh, it related or, um, I had a personal counterpoint in that my mom just turned 80 this year. And if you met her, you would think she was in her sixties, mm-hmm. mm. like uh, super young. Like, um, she went to the doctor the other day and he was like, Hey, you should, uh, don't, you know, volunteer at a senior center so that like older people can see that like, you're still super active and doing this stuff. My mom's like, I don't want to be around old people. It makes me feel yeah, old. I just want to be around yeah. young people. So she yeah, joined a sorority. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> honestly, my mom, if you could send her and she could join a sorority, she'd fucking flip out. Oh, but yeah. like she, she would rather hang out with my niece and like my, uh, um, her mm. grandkids because she's like, uh, I feel dramatically younger when I'm around old people. And she goes, I see how old they look. And all I think of is like, it just, you see that like they move slow and they eat. And then she kind of went through this whole thing mm-hmm. where she's like, you know, they go to uh, dinner at like four o'clock. She's like, I don't want to eat dinner at four. Like it just was really interesting that like perception mm-hmm. is reality. And I wonder within the cognitive base that like, you know, you looking in the mirror. Cause I, I also read a pretty interesting one that like uh, our perception of ourselves looking in the mirror is very different than a photo- uh, like a photograph because we have yeah. certain protections in place where we yeah. have this like ego and like the, the mirror, the visualization protects us. That's why like when you look in the mirror, like, Oh, I look all right. And then all of a sudden you see a picture and you're like, dude, I look like an asshole. Um, never had that. Yeah, never. Uh, <laughs> so as we get into this, I mean, uh, if you think about, uh, the brain creating its own reality, it seems like the longer that we can create the most ideal reality, the longer we can extend. It's the force. Or the source. Or the source. The source. <laughs> um, the I, source. I did on May the 4th, I did actually put an Instagram post out saying may the source be with nice. you. So, <laughs> so if, if the goal is to 
always be in this kind of cognitive learning to, you know, make sure that the synapses are firing and the neuroplasticity is, you know, forever, you know, uh, you know, forever young, forever flexible, I guess you could say like, what is like, what, um, what things in place that can we do as we age to make sure that, you know, we don't end up like, Mm -hmm. So there's a book by Ellen Langer at Harvard called Counterclockwise. And one of the main things that she says is the more um, touch points for new and different things that you experience in a year, the different your perspective of how quickly time passes changes. So like how for your daughters, 10 years is like, you know, an eternity. But for us, it feels like as we age that 10 years goes by quicker and quicker. But if you keep learning and exposing your brain to new and different experiences, then you actually change that perception of time and that keeps you youthful. So, you know, neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to change itself and the fact that it does change in response to everything that you experience. I believe in proactively exposing yourself to things that improve neuroplasticity in your brain, both for you know, staving off dementia and, you know, keeping you learning, keeping your, blame, your brain flexible to change, but also for exactly the reasons that you've just said, which are your, your perception of how time is passing and how your life is passing and your own youthfulness. Um, it, it, yeah, it's vital. I mean, in, interestingly, we were talking earlier about cavemen and, you know, and the comparison between men and women. I think some of the things that have changed women's lives massively the biggest one for me is education for women. But if we put that aside, hair dye. I mean, women in their 50s or younger could have totally gray hair. Now they have totally colorful hair, whatever color they want, the color that they had when they were 20. Um, you talked about the beard, but you know, the dye is another thing. Um, hormone replacement therapy. And that does, does not just apply to women. I mostly work with men. And any age from 35 to 55, I test these men for their testosterone levels. And if they need supplementation, that can be life-changing for them as well in terms of their muscle mass, their youthfulness, their energy, their risk appetite. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating just like we don't advocate plastic surgery that everyone should be taking artificial hormones. But for instance, doing weight bearing exercise followed by eating cabbage is the most effective way of naturally increasing your own testosterone because of a compound in cabbage, which is actually more effective than eating a steak after a workout. So whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, what's in cabbage? Uh, like intern, go get five heads of cabbage. <laughs> now. Uh, what kind of cabbage are we talking about? Raw cabbage, boiled cabbage? What are we cook cabbage? I think it's cooked. Um, I actually, I think I need cooking to go- makes it more bioavailable. Makes it more bioavailable. Um, Can you Google the compound that's in cabbage? Because it's literally, I did not expect to be having this conversation, so it's left my mind. (laughs) What about fucking... uh, Liver? No, pickled cabbage. What the... Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. Well, sauerkraut is important for a different reason. I don't know if it has the same... All cabbage diet. I'm on the all cabbage diet. Raw, (laughs) cooked, fermented. There was a diet that was... um, It's happening. I want to say it was like a cabbage soup diet that people did, which I think led to like malnutrition and death. Souped cabbage? I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, don't Um, just just eat cabbage, but... Oh, oh, okay. uh, I misunderstood. You know, um, as we age, two things happen. Um, we lose uh, our ability to recruit motor units and mitochondrial density de- decreases. Mm. So, um, 
you know, and that just happens over time. And I think uh, within the training space, things that we're big on is uh, max motor unit recruitment happens within three mm-hmm. ways. You either have to try to move a bar as fast as you can. So the, the mm-hmm. greatest amount of effort recruits the most amount of motor units, uh, lifting something heavy where I can't lift another rep, mm-hmm. you know, and then the other one was fatiguing yourself into that, you know, motor unit recruitment pattern to kind of target those type two fibers. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, lifting weights, um, you know, heavy lifting weights, fast and lifting weights for a lot of reps ends up kind of hitting the max motor unit recruitment. The other thing is we lose mitochondrial density. Mm -hmm. So we found that uh, developing or continue to develop a large aerobic base helps us uh, maintain mitochondrial density as we as we age. So like the idea of like still going out and lifting and doing some form of physical move uh, or exercise, and then actually some form of long sustained kind of like hiking, moving, rucking, whatever it looks like to maintain that aerobic base. Um, and then the, the mental equivalents to that are to also either eat a nutrition dense diet that has lots of antioxidants in it or to supplement with, um, antioxidant, um, supplements and to avoid pro-oxidant things like smoked food, burnt food. I'm afraid like when I tell men that they shouldn't be eating brisket, they hate me, but it's, there's a reason well, there's for a it. there's between eating brisket every day and maybe yeah. having three or four pounds well, based, every other day. Based off my Google research of cabbage here, I think we can just null those out from the anti-cancer positive notes here. I can't even pronounce any of these benefits that are within this, but... Just Google. But so good. we need to take yeah. the brisket and take the, cabbage. The, the slaw. Yeah. Yeah. Smash it. It sounds like a good sandwich. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I kind of agree with you a little bit. Like, I mean, I preferably would love to have barbecue for every Total, meal, yeah. but like, like once a week. <laughs> Uh, but I also am uh, adverse to overcooking meat. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. to me is uh, like, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So... I, I yeah, think that's an evolutionary thing. Like it, it's, it's, an ev- yeah, it's a well, caveman it, thing. It, well, it, uh, hands down, like um, my, my little boy's three. And uh, like if if you were to give him um, like something that was like pretty rare, uh, like medium rare, and then something that was well done, he will. And I've done this. I've done it as a test. I overcook something and I cut them up into a whole bunch of different pieces and then All put them on his plate. And he will pick through it and pick the undercooked pieces. Interesting. Yeah. My little boy is, uh, he's a savage. Like he, like, it, it's pretty interesting seeing like, and that's the joke I make about us being not that far from how we were. He yeah. is, I mean, like if I dropped him off 65 million years ago and that was like the next three years of his life, he bam, probably bam. would be totally in it. Like he just, uh, yeah, it's just like there, there's certain things that I think are hardwired within, within boys. Like, for example, he took his work bench out and he sat there and he beat on it with a hammer. Like he has these hammers just hitting it as hard as he can for like legit 20 minutes. And then I went over <laughs> and then he tackled me and tried to hit me with a hammer. And then I just power slammed him for about 10 minutes and, and then he wanted to go get <laughs> something to eat. So it's just like, I, I, like in, when, when I see stuff like that, it, um, it makes me okay what you know because if you listen to social media or you or you see the media or everything like i'm tired of being bombarded with this idea that you know this like uh demasculinization of men mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. i mean it's like uh, like but maybe we live in a microcosm where we don't see it because we're not really around that type of stuff but isn't that like the power of of the biopsychosocial like the social components that we for whatever reason become our reality, our belief system, ultimately like have the power to change you structurally and, and permanently, right? Like 
going into the power of belief of, you know, of what Dr. Swart was talking about with her vision. If you believe you're a young boy and you believe you're a woman, whether you're persuaded into that or not, like that becomes a reality. Yeah. You know? And I think that, you know, for the, I think who had, was it just Chappelle who had like uh, his stand up thing is like, listen, if you're willing to go to those lengths to do like an operational change agenda, I fucking believe you. Like, you know, yeah. like that's immense, immense sacrifice and investment. So like, let them fucking go with it. But I mean, this is a whole other conversation, right? I mean, I just want to start with the little boys and the little girls thing that if you have a toddler climbing up a, a plank on a slope, the same toddler dressed in pink, you'll stop them from going to the edge the same toddler dressed in blue, you'll let them go right to the edge. We, so, like uh, the, we, the adult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, not this adult. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. well, I have twin girls and I chose to raise them like I would boys. So, like, they fall down. I'm taking down. it a step further. I'm raising them like chimpanzees. <laughs> Minobos. <laughs> He's like, it's weird. I like, I, I tape their thumbs down so they don't have posable <laughs> thumbs. But, like, I uh, well, I I read a pretty interesting book when I found out I was having daughters, and it was like you know um, I can't recall the name of it, but it was it was basically the the mistakes that fathers make by coddling their daughters and the daughter and the the girls that have gone out and changed the world and altered the trajectory and like the most famous women within history had parents that did not. Um, I guess, protect them from things like force them to go out and do these things. 100%. Yeah. And like, you know, like forced them out and like, you know, from everything from, I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw what's her name, uh, Jesse, um, the girl that just passed away. It's not Jesse Sprawls. Oh, the, uh, is it Jesse Sprawls? No, yeah. I don't know her name, but um, Land Speed Record. Yeah. She, uh, the lady, uh, we met her at SEMA a couple of years ago. I think it's Jesse Sprawls. She just passed away. Uh, mm -hmm. she set the Land Speed Record of going on like Jesse Combs. 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 So uh, she just set the land speed record and ended up dying doing it. So she went 531 miles an hour. Jesse James just made her earn. Wow. She was 34 oh, years old and a fabricator and a welder and just like one king of hammers, which is like the toughest off-road race and like wanted to be the fastest woman on, you know, she had this jet, like 64 foot jet rocket that she launched in. And like, uh, like it gives me goosebumps to think like, you know, who was, you know, pushing her and being like, no, go, go do it. So that's, uh, um, it's yeah, just, and I really believe that it doesn't have to be... I mean, that is amazing. I am totally against the demasculization of men, but I'm totally also against people saying that women can and can't do certain things. And one of the reasons that I keep doing what I do in such a public way is to show girls that you can be a neuroscientist or a medical doctor or you can be a senior lecturer at MIT because there still aren't enough women doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, I think the more that any one or all of us do those little things and how we raise our girls and how we raise our boys and what we do and, you know, how we talk to and about people, it has a big impact because we are, you know, our brains are so impacted by everything that we hear and everything that we see and every interaction we have with people, um, whether it's being, you know, the fastest, the strongest, um, being in, a, in an industry that isn't you know, typically seem to be of a certain gender or type of person. And I think it's, it's really, really important. Doc, what, um, I'm sure you have a list of things that you believed to be true at one point, like even a few years ago that like today you kind of like look up and you think, I can't believe I believe that was true or something that's been so revolutionary that it's altered the trajectory. Cause I imagine, um, 
and you even said it like what I knew 10 years ago, I just think that you're in such a dynamic field that there's probably new information and new pieces mm-hmm. coming out every single day. So I just wonder, is there anything major that you've seen that you've been like, wow, I can't believe, I mean, like, like you just said, Hey, we had this, you know, preconceived notion that there was a right left brain associated with different mm-hmm. points, but we mm-hmm. found that that's not the case. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, the the right brain, left brain thing, the, the other neuromyth is we only use 10% of our brains. And that that movie, Lucy, I watched it on a plane and I was just like angry the whole time I was watching it because, that, you know, the premise is not correct. So we can naturally do so much to use more of our brains. I mean, I grew up um, in an, you know, an Indian family. So we, uh, we were taught things about yoga and meditation and Ayurveda and like the use of turmeric for like preventing bowel cancer and dementia. And I just thought it was all nonsense when I was a kid, but that, all of that stuff's been proven true now. So that's <laughs> quite nice for me that that's all come together. Um, <laughs> I have found, and this is uh, probably age telling me that, that a lot of the old wives tales and yeah. these old traditions and like these just weird little things that like, um, that we've like kind of come down through history and that stood like the test of time. Yeah. That like people throw out, they'd be like, ah, and then, uh, as you get older, you're like, man, I like, probably some pretty good, you know, information associated with that. And like, I think we're going to find that like a lot of that stuff, like you said, like the turmeric and whatnot, I mean, it just mm. kind of makes sense. <laughs> more and more we'll find that for sure. I would have to say neuroplasticity is the single most exciting thing that's changed in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm not one of those people that wishes I was young again or wishes I could live forever. But neuroplasticity is the thing that makes me think, you know, if I could be 20 again or if I could be two again, then just how much you could get out of your brain if you knew about neuroplasticity. And that's what really compelled me to write the source. I genuinely felt like everybody should know how how amazing and malleable your brain is. And then it's your choice of whether you leave it to be affected by everything around you or you very proactively create the real world outcomes that you want by using your brain agility and the neuroplasticity that's inherent in it. Brain agility. Oh, yeah, that's part of the part three of the book. So I want to highlight part four, fire up the source, and you provided a little roadmap. Is there something you can leave our listeners with to help them make actionable decisions today? Ooh, I love takeaways. So fire up the source is no coincidence. It is absolutely about what I consider to be the cognitive revolution, which is when we, you know, 65 million years ago, discovered fire and became the most successful animal on the planet. Firing up the source is about becoming the most successful best you with what you know now and the resources that you have in your brain. It's essentially a four-step process of raising awareness. So what is it that you need to change to be your best self? Work out what that is. It's probably affected by your past. Focus attention on opportunities, people, situations, learning opportunities, where you could have a new or desired behavior or thinking pattern. It's just like physical exercise, deliberate practice, repetition of the behavior that you want in your life instead of the one that you've been doing up until now. And then if there's one thing that your listeners go away and do um, after listening to this bizarre and varied and wandering conversation, (laughs) then (laughs) it is go and make a vision board, what I call an action board, which is a collage made by hand with metaphorical representations of of what you want your life to look like. 
and then do something every day to make that come true. Whether it's visualization, whether it's actually going out and networking or dating or you know, starting your own business or whatever physical you know, activity you want to do, to actually do it, not sit at home and just believe that it might come true. Um, and, and, and know more about how your brain works so that you feel compelled to actually do these things. Vision board. I'm doing Dude, I, I, yeah, no, I was, uh, as she's saying it, I'm like vision board. I'm like, man, I want my kids to make goals. Mm. No, but like it, it, um, it makes sense. Like the idea of like, Hey, these are the things that are most important for me. This is what I want to make happen. And then it's from, because I think people lose sight of their goals because they're out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. mm. And then how much totally. work are really putting forth, uh, to make them happen. Hey, did you play Tetris on your game boy when you were a kid? Yeah, yes. That's one. Yes. Easy. Do you remember when you played it late at night and then you closed your eyes, you could see the little cubes falling mm -hmm. in front of your eyes? Yeah. That's how a vision board works. It's, in, it's a neurological phenomenon called selective filtering and value tagging. It primes your brain to grasp opportunities that would otherwise have passed you by because it brings them to the front of your mind. Just like you said, your goals just go to the back of the list because you're busy with the kids, the day job, the, you know, the working out. And... So the Tetris effect is a psychological phenomen phenomenon where the last thing you see at night imprints on your subconscious more strongly than anything else. So it's Ooh. important. So even if someone's not a visual learner, well, first off, I am, but I'm just curious because there's three different learning styles. Yeah, yeah. So would it is be something real? along the lines? Or yeah, is that is a real that, thing or is that, is that a, a neuromyth? <laughs> um, Visual is a strong one for most people. There mm -hmm. are some people that can't visualize or don't, you know, there's a small majority of people I'm learning more as I go out and meet people about mm -hmm. the book that vision boards don't work for, but you can use music, you can use smell, uh, you can you can write a list if you want to, but sure. there's evidence that visual things track to your subconscious more strongly than written things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking like if you recorded a mantra or some shit like that, and that was mm. the last thing you plugged in, you know, because before, no, you know, but like, um, think about if you had like a, like a, uh, um, like you said, like an action board and you had like, Hey, like here's uh six or seven things that like are most visually important for me. Mm -hmm. And then like, those are the, you know, like the things you want to absorb and like, you know, it's, uh, no, it's it, it, super fascinating. And the thing is it can be dynamic. It can change over time. Well, yeah. mm -hmm. you John, know? your, your speech coach the arthur joseph a big part of his book vocal awareness was the that mantra mm -hmm. spoken so you start to mm -hmm. embody and position and, and feel well the uh the thing i remember working with arthur joseph is uh if you don't believe the words coming out of your mouth, nobody else's. Now, yeah. whether what if you don't listen to the words no, coming out of your mouth? Now, I, that's here's the interesting. Here, here's the interesting thing. He's like, um, you like what do you say? He goes, if you don't believe the words coming out of your mouth, nobody else's. Now, those words don't have to be true. Mm -hmm. But if you believe the words, he's like, people Ooh. have this really interesting inherent. Isn't that uh, Costanza's like advice as well? Bullshit meter. <laughs> well, like you guys know, like like there's certain tells. Like you can tell, like if uh, you know if somebody is. Uh, too overly confident, like I.e. the Nate Austin, or if all of a sudden, oh, no names, no they, names, they crack a little bit. And, <laughs> and like, Austin or Nate A, Nate right? A. Like like uh, delusionally overconfident to the point where you're like, hmm, wait a minute, like uh, the bullshit meter goes up. So there was a really interesting balance when we would go work and we'd work on these talks about like the ability to be assertive but not too assertive in here, and it was like you know. 
you have to practice to project this information in such a way. And, uh, you know, we watched a bunch of, he worked with Tony Robbins. And so I, he's like, what do you think? I'm like, I think he seems like he's full of shit. He's like, yeah, but nobody in the audience does. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, they just paid a whole bunch of money. So like they're already bought in and here. And he's like, yeah, but you're watching it. It's a different experience in person. Mm -hmm. That's why when you go hear somebody speaker, like, you know, like, um, I, I've been, like to like rock shows where I've been like, I don't really went to the band and I left the, the show being Loving a fan yeah. of the band. Big Nickelback fan. Uh, it the happened darkness. to me. I was not a Nickelback <laughs> fan until we met the guys from Nickelback and went to the show and partied with them. And then I became right a Nickelback this time, fan. Down. This is the, the Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Last wasn't word. Okay. If you don't listen to the words that come out of your own mouth, start a podcast. There you go. <laughs> no, we already have that podcast. Uh, doc, 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 do you do a lot of podcasts? I've done a few. Yeah, I like doing them. Okay, good. Um, is this by far the most interesting podcast you've ever been on? This is the best, my favorite, oh, sex, sexiest podcast I've yes. ever seen in my well, life. Well, I get that all the I time. was wondering, like, you know, for your podcast, you're probably like, hello, we are here with Dr. Tour Swart, or Tara Swart, and, uh, you know, hoo -hoo, hoo -hoo. and then you, like, get on with some dudes that are like, hey, uh, let's talk about banging weights and how to get really Yeah, smart. what did we open with? We were talking, like, Die Hard or something? <laughs> Clan of the Cave Bear. Oh, yeah, Clan of the Cave Bear. Uh, you don't have the that. memories. Well, I don't listen to anything that uh, comes out of your mouth. Doc, um, uh, being of Indian <laughs> origin. you are quite Neanderthal. <laughs> yes, I'm mostly Neanderthal. Doc, being of Indian origin, uh, yeah. are, you, um, are you a vegan? Um, I'm not vegan. So, A, I, being of South, South Asian origin, I have zero Neanderthal in my genetic history. <laughs> <laughs> and B, um, I'm not vegan. I actually don't think that being I, I believe in the ethical reasons that people are mm -hmm. vegan but um i don't believe it's the optimal thing for your brain so that's the reason that i personally am not vegan um you can be you can be vegan and as long as you supplement the the things that you need for optimal brain function um okay. it's really good to have like some yeah any diet vegan, that you have to supplement for i mean we're yeah. we're a big proponent yeah. of like a whole food um yeah you nutrient know, like like nutrient dense diet i mean Same. just for uh, not only like performance, muscle health, I mean, everything that we found that, you know, and, and we've dove in recently with these other really sharp dudes that were, um, that are studying the microbiome at like Cornell. We were on, yeah. it, was it last week? You know, we've been really getting into this idea of metabolic flexibility that the mm -hmm. healthiest, strongest, most resilient people are the ones that can eat the, the most diverse diet. And the most that, of, yeah, exactly. And, and the, uh, you know, if like you can only consume, you know, just a few foods without having some, you know, extremely, you know, stomach distress, and that's creating metabolic inflexibility, which yeah. relates back to decreased life and performance. You know, we kind of went through this whole thing. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting that people are so willing to create voluntary metabolic inflexibility by limiting mm -hmm. their diet. Like, well, I don't eat these foods anymore. Even yeah. though, you know, as we're sitting here and being like, well, we evolved you know, not to because, eat meat, yeah. but because we ate meat, which has always been my uh, medium argument. Rare. <laughs> medium rare meat. Oh, yeah, rare, yeah, apparently. not well done. But I, yeah. I, so there were two things that really struck me. One, um, I have two kind of visions where like, um, and this probably came from the Andy and Artie thing, which, which I thought was pretty fascinating, where they found those original bones of whether or not you buy into it. I always imagined that they existed out on the savanna and that the reason that we stood up was to probably look around and see danger. Uh, was kind of why I thought we went from two uh, from four to two to kind of like look around to hunt to see what was coming at us. 
but when they found the Andean Artie bones, uh, fossils or whatever, um, they also found fossilized uh, fruit bat droppings. So they knew mm-hmm. that they were found in a jungle. And so mm-hmm. that kind of displayed that kind of idea. And then I heard a really interesting guy talk about it. And he goes, you know, why do you think that, you know, they would have kind of stood up to reach? And, and the guy made a good point. Like maybe they were holding a child. Maybe they had to stand up. Maybe it was a, a maternal thing. And I thought that was a pretty good one. The other one I thought, and I always picture this as you were talking about it, was this huge fire raids. And like you always see that like the savanna in Africa always burns. So like lightning strikes, the weather's hot and they have these huge, you know, and it's happened for eons. And I imagine like something gets caught, something this, and then the scavenger, like the hyena, you know, us as people, because I really think as omnivores, we were scavengers uh, until we were smart enough to make tools and whatnot, Mm -hmm. um, came over and they were like, this cooked stuff is way better than this raw stuff. And like, I just imagine that first kind of, you know, humanoid over there, like ripping into something and being like medium rare is way better (laughs) or going in for the cooked organ meats. Cause you guys know, I mean, eating raw liver is not that good. Well, cooked liver isn't that good either. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the kidney's the um, worst. I yeah, kidney. I, I can't do kidney. Having, uh, you know, my husband hears me speak and explain the cognitive revolution and the evolution of the brain through, um, well, talking about evolution in terms of, of neuroscience quite a lot. So I said to him, um, do you know why women need high heels and handbags? And so he seriously waited for the answer. And I said, because the women who were the tallest could reach, could, you know, could gather the berries and the nuts from the trees. And the bigger your handbag, the more you could gather and bring back to the cave. And there was a split second where he actually believed this argument okay, yeah. for my wardrobe. That makes sense to, to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. um, I'm in. <laughs> it works so on all cavemen. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I think like that, I'm going to order a bigger purse. I think actually. the hilarious part is if you look at the history of high heels, actually men were the ones that wore high heels originally. Yeah, they're called boots, John. No, I just imagine, like, I just thought it was funny that when they, you look at, like, the history of the high heel, and I read some weird Vice article about it, that actually men were the ones that, that started with the high heels. I did not know that. Yeah. So, so uh, Mentioning green... no names, Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but TC? Tom Cruise? Well, he, he's like, what, 6'5"? I think so, 6'1", six 6'2". Six <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Same size as The Rock. <laughs> and me. <laughs> and Vin Diesel. <laughs> Um, well doc thank you so much for jumping on the podcast you know respect for your time i appreciate you chatting with us and going like every nook and cranny that we could find i'm happy that we well kept up the tradition what we're doing is uh, we're increasing neuroplasticity by being a extremely um on Charitable, kind of just dynamic, dynamic, yeah. random, agile. Type, ag- agile podcast. Agile. So we are forcing neuroplasticity on the doc mm-hmm. here, which is helping us too. Mm-hmm. By us just, yeah, it's helped me. Yeah, we're yeah. doing this for you. <laughs> My <laughs> brain is for, definitely better we're because good. I've spent an hour talking to you guys. <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, well, that's I believe probably, it. That's probably the first person who's ever said that. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> Because I thought I was getting worse because of you guys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do the web. Is that a burn? Beating your ass in ping pong. <sighs> yeah, taste it. So uh, we have a. That's enough. Thanks. We, Thanks for joining us. <laughs> we have a good friend. We have a good friend named Cal Dietz, who's a, a strength coach and really just one of the most unique thinkers I've been around in a long, long time. And uh, he was uh, his son's a real high level hockey player, and so he got him a, a ping pong table so he could work on his hand eye coordination. 
And as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, man, we should get a, a pool table. And then I clicked on Facebook and Facebook Marketplace had this like really nice German high end ping pong table. And this but basically it was like, come get rid of this thing. My husband's never used it. And so I shouted to the intern. I'm like, we need this immediately. And now we have a ping pong table in our office. Mm -hmm. And uh, these two donkeys are just getting worked. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Texas on a heater today. I'll yeah, give you that. I'm five and Good zero job. today. Smashing, dude. Me. I'm, I'm gonna go crush you after this, uh, Doc. Uh, how do we uh, uh, stalk you on social media? How do we learn more about your work other than uh, the, you know the source? Um, I'm on Twitter at Tara Swart and Instagram at Dr. Tara Swart. D R Tara Swart. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. My website is taraswart.com, and I think that's it. Cool. That's plenty. That'll get people going. Yeah. No, it's great. So thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast. In strength, strength and, and conditioning. And, and neuroplasticity. And hey. again, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. Thank yeah, that was amazing. You. Thank we you a, so much. So. It was really fun. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Follow Dr. Swart on social media at drtaraswart on Instagram or at taraswart on Twitter. Her book is available for purchase on Amazon or perhaps you can just manifest its existence in your personal library by visualizing it. Until next time, bye!